quality in special education does not come from a teacher getting a college degree. It is so much more. That's exactly why I've brought Braylon to the special education inner circle. Welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Witcher. And Braylon, thank you for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. So tell everybody, how did you end up at an IEP table and what's your current role? <laughs> yes. So I guess I ended up there because I always wanted to be a teacher and I thought for a while I'd be a kindergarten teacher. I knew I wanted young children. I just didn't know what I wanted. Um, when I got to college, then I started taking all kinds of classes. I was in uh, Special Olympics and all those kind of things. I think it just opened my eyes to special ed. You know, everybody kind of comes to it their own way. And so um, that's what I chose to study and chose to get a couple degrees in it. And um, I love it so much. So actually, when I was doing my student teaching, I never went to an IEP meeting, not once. They didn't let me. I don't know why both of the two different placements I have, they did not let me in those IEP meetings in my undergrad. And so the first time I actually went to an IEP meeting was when I was a teacher, my first job ever. And luckily, thank God, I don't know, my, both my parents are um, business people. And as kids, like my mom was like, you know, rocking in the business world and my parents would bring me to work and I would sit in their board meetings. And so a table and people wasn't that scary to me. Um, but I had, yeah, I had never been in an IEP meeting until I sat in that chair. It must've been like October of my first year teaching. Oh my goodness. And you know what? You're not in the minority of that. That is absolutely the standard, which is scary to say that, you know, we start the conversation talking about quality and special education. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I'm going to run your child's IEP meeting. And I've never sat in one myself. That means that the parent who has sat in four, five, six, 12 IEP meetings has much more experience than you do at a whole different level, which just changes the dynamic um, at the table. The administrator's expecting things from you. And you know what? We went to school to be teachers. Um, for our listeners that don't know, I'm a former special education teacher. And you know, we went to school to be teachers and to sit at this meeting and be expected to have that business experience is bizarre. Um, to have to do that. So, okay. So you get through your IEP meetings and um, how long have you been in the classroom as of today? This, uh, tomorrow's my last day of school, not to date the podcast. So that will finish my fourth year of teaching. Oh, so I love it. So four years, I always say that's good. If we made it past the three-year mark, that's good. Um, yeah. For anybody who doesn't know the statistics of the turnover in special education, you know, there's kind of a big turnover at year three, year five there. And then once somebody gets to like year 10, then I'm like, I'm going to hang on um, <laughs> longer. So I, I love that you've been in the classroom for a while. And I know that you have a passion for talking about quality special education and making sure that you're just not making things that are fun and cutesy, but that you're looking for this real uh, intentional aspect in the classroom to make sure that this is a quality education. Can you share with me a bit about from a, from a teacher perspective, what made you look at that? Because that's not the focus of all teachers and that's not how most people go into the classroom. I know it's crazy. Um, 
wow, okay, there are many, many pieces I think that contributed to it as I've been thinking about it. One is that I studied um, visual arts. My, my actual, my dual degree was um, painting and textiles. So I love visual things. If I let myself, I'd probably only care about my classroom in terms of like the decor. I have to reel myself back in. So that's the first piece is that's like my weakness. <laughs> if I let myself go down that avenue, a craft every day, all day is all I'd want to do. The second thing is in my master's program, um, I went to school for ABA my, in my master's. So as I was getting my, you know, my clinical hours, I'm going all these places, I'm going into clinics, I'm going into classrooms and I would sit and observe um, students, right? Cause come and, and do a couple observations and the amount of students I'd see where the behaviors and the challenges and the disconnect that the teacher or the parent was having trouble with was either coming from the environment, the surroundings of the actual classroom and the stimulation or it was coming from a lack of engagement due to the activity, whether it was too hard or too easy or just not rigorous. And so I think those are like the two biggest things that I think have contributed to it. But I think kind of going to the beginning of my story, I loved teaching from like a young age and I really wanted to be able to teach. And I think as I got further in my studies and then starting in my career, I felt like there are two paths. One is you might not have to plan very much in your classroom day to day. So you find the activities that are the easiest to do, which might be more fun, cutesy craft type of things, you know, more, I don't know how else to describe it besides fun. I don't want to belittle those things. If that's making any sense. Recreational. It feels a little bit more yes. like, re like recreational. If there's not a huge Thank academic you. or functional foundation in it, Although we may be learning things, fine motor skills, following directions, all of these things can be done in that capacity, but you wanted to take it next level. Thank you. I wanted to take it next level. And so I think that's really what pushed me to really start taking it more seriously. And then, um, yeah, the last thing I will say is that with, you know, being new to the profession, having never been to an IEP meeting, the first year of teaching, depending on what district you're in. You're just kind of thrown in. And I feel like I was drowning for a bit. And I kind of was like, had to reevaluate and be like, what are the strengths? What are the things I find exciting and engaging about this job? And why am I doing it? <laughs> if, if this is so hard, your first year, why am I doing it? The kids and the students and what they want to learn and their abilities and how I can creatively shape this into a an individualized program for each kid. And so that was really the start for me of, cre yeah, really taking the, the quality education part seriously. And again, like you said, not belittling the recreational things. They're very fun. They have their place, but also seeing mm, how can you adapt, you know, grade level content that's engaging for a 12 year old. That's not just reading, I see a cat for the eighth time, or how can you you know, find other, other really creative things, um, to, yeah, to work with them. So that's kind of like the basis behind it. all that I do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So our foundation that we talk about all the time, 
um, in the special education inner circle and in the master IEP coach programs is we talk about the purpose of an IEP. And we always hear, you know, provide an appropriate education, but appropriate is such a gray area. What I think is appropriate might be different than what you think is appropriate. Right. Then we say, okay, meet a child's unique needs. Got it. You're like, okay, we're going to do that as a, as a teacher. But then we have this next level, then this is where, where I love to talk about is, it's to prepare a child for further education, employment, independent living. I mean, like I didn't make that up, that's in idea law. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about like, how do we take this and make it meaningful, not just because it fits into our day or it's reaching just a, a, a random IEP goal, but being intentional about it. And, and I appreciate that. Now let's talk about some strategies, some things that maybe, you know, let's start the conversation. What have you maybe done that you don't do anymore or things that you've discovered that work really well? Let's, let's go there. Yeah. Those two kind of go hands in hand. Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind that I used to do that I think I don't do anymore is I really was not very good at planning what I was doing day to day, week to week. I swear. I feel like I say this all the time on social media everywhere. Like I wish there was one class, even if it was a one credit class that just walked you through how to think of a week and plan it and all of those things, um, because that's so hard. So I used to come in in the mornings and decide what I was going to do that day and gather the stuff, pass it out to the people and Bob's your uncle. Like I really wasn't thinking. So if I'm not thinking about it besides at 8 a.m., what's the quality of that instruction and, and how is it like sequential? And I just, it was not good. So I think that is definitely something that I used to do that I don't do anymore. And the strategy that I tried to implement was having some sort of schedule for how I was planning it, having some sort of like long-term vision of like each student where they're starting at in August or September and, and where I'm not wanting to, but hoping that they end up in May or June based off of their IEP goals and what are some really practical things that can get them there. Some instruction is straight up just memorizing certain facts, right? Like we can't get around that multiplication, those kind of things. Um, but there are, you know, there are other layers of that in teaching repeated addition and different things that will pop back up and how can you incorporate that with different strategies to allow the student to master those skills. So I think those kind of things are things that I had to start strategically thinking of. So I made like a schedule for myself for planning where I would think about what I wanted to do on a Monday. Tuesday, I'd write the lesson plan. Wednesday, I'd gather the materials. Thursday, I'd make any kind of copies I wanted. And Friday, I'd pass it out. So that by the time I left for the weekend, I was chilling and then I could come back on Monday and I would know exactly what I was doing. And then I would start that schedule all over again. So everyone has a different type of schedule, but those little things I think really worked for me. And I think the other thing I honestly feel like I just didn't do, especially early on was, I don't know how to just describe it besides like my mentality, <laughs> like thinking that my classroom really had to be perfect, that every student had to make positive progress, you know, like progress in some way or whatever. I think I just really it's that, that thing that we envision when we get like, we got a teaching degree. Thank this you. This is going to yes. be our classroom. And no matter the challenging behavior or the, the terrible day, I have this magic wand that's just going to turn everything around. And it's like, poof, here's my pixie dust. Exactly. Here's all my bags of tricks. Like, I've got this. And then when you realize like, it's, it's not just a show. <laughs> like, we have to dig in. Yes. And you have to 
talk with families and parents and service providers and all the things that they also don't teach you in college, how to work with a group and those kind of things. Then you're like, really, oh, darn, like <laughs> I got to <laughs> dig deeper. Yeah, for sure. So I think that was another mentality of, of things that I, I just wasn't really paying attention to. And, and I've definitely had to shift that. Uh, I think that blindsides a, a lot of professionals inside the school, like a lot of the IEP team members, uh, when we look at teachers and therapists and, you know, even general education teachers and all these people that are sitting at this IEP table, they're like blindsided at all the moving parts and how they have to be orchestrated. And it is a mindset thing when you realize like, okay, well, the rose colored glasses are now gone. Mm -hmm. um, let's look at what's really happening and being able to flip your mindset and decide like, and I'm going to make this work. It's not what I expected, but I can do this. That's a big part of it. So I love those two things. Now let's talk about some things that you, um, maybe do different now that you're a little bit more seasoned of a teacher or things that you're looking forward to. Let's, let's kind of jump ahead a little bit. Yes. So one little tidbit about my timeline of a teacher, this, I started at a new school and, um, like this past year, what a year to start, uh, the 2020, 2021 school year new. <laughs> and, um, I think that part of that was just kind of getting, used to the school and stuff. So I think there, are, if I'm remembering your question correctly, it's like all the things I, I am excited about, or I want to wow, like, what are you excited going? about? Yeah. So, I just, like, so yeah. like you got your struggles, right? So you like, you got through some struggles. You're like, okay, I had no idea IP meetings. You had no idea that I, I really had to be intentional right. about planning and making all of this happen. So like, where are you at? And like, what are you excited about now? Some things that you might be changing from what you did before or exciting up and coming? So many things. Yeah. So now that I feel like, okay, going into my fifth year, feeling good. I'm really excited about the relationships that I've made in this specific district. So like once you're there for a little bit, you're building relationships so you can, I don't know, I just the providers I'm working with, all those people, I'm excited about that. I think we have similar mindsets. So we're like co-planning different units together. Like I'm really excited about those things. Um, I'm really weirdly excited about like the organizational parts in my classroom. I think I revamped a lot from the previous year. Data collection. I love data. Data. Like so are you digital or paper or both for data collection? Both. Are you like Google forms and QR codes or are you like tally marks on a sticky note? Girl, I'm tally marks on a sticky note that gets put into the Google form because I, who in their right mind has this amount of hours when you're teaching one or three, 10 kids and people are like, oh, I have this beautiful little, mm -mm. no, the day moves so fast. It's a tally. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the data and, and those things. And I have some of the same kids that I, I get to keep. So I kind of get to see it. Um, and this year, uh, I didn't really get to decorate my classroom. So there's like a lot of moving parts. So I'm like weirdly excited about that. So they're just like little things and big things, but I'm teaching grades I've never taught before. And um, what are you going to teach? I have a couple of fourth graders and that's like way higher than I've normally taught. And so I got like the novels that the fourth grade's reading and those. And so I'm excited 
to finally be able to teach a little bit of higher level content. I never thought I was an early childhood person for forever, but that I will get to see those, adapt those maybe, and like find cool ways to teach some of those big concepts. And so those kind of things I think are getting me excited. Well, please do that. So I love your excitement in that because so often, as you mentioned before, you know, we're seeing that same repetitive, like I see a cat, I want a cookie. And it's like, we could have some advanced critical thinking, even with basic sentence structure, with, with some standard WH questions. And I think that's a lot of times those behaviors that you were talking about before where kids are like, come on. Like, I, even if I know the answer, I'm not going to tell you because I've been asked the same question for three years, like stop. So fourth grade is really kind of a cool place to say, like, what can you switch up that maybe the students are exhausted with? Yeah, I'm excited. And I have some second graders too. So there's the comfortable, like the comfortable parts of teaching grades I've taught many, many, many times and the ones I've never taught before. So yeah, it's going to be fun. I will yeah, I'm going to, I'll keep you updated on yeah, how it goes. It. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question that, that I didn't give you ahead of time. That's fine. Right, ready? All <laughs> yes. right. For all of our parents who are listening, what is something that a parent could do to help a teacher? You described a lot of things that as a newer teacher, like I've never sat in an IEP meeting. I've never had to do all of these things. And, and your world, quite honestly, because I know I've been there is almost like coming tumbling down because this is not what you envisioned as a career, but you still want it. And then there's parents <laughs> and you're like, oh my goodness. So what could a parent do for a teacher who, you know, even if they're not showing it, we know if they have taught for three years or less, they're still newbies and figuring it out. Yes. Okay. The first thing that comes to mind is asking a lot of questions. I think it's okay. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. actually I'd rather a parent ask questions. Like I don't quite understand like what you're doing. I'm not coming at you, but I, I just want to know, I just want to know what it is that you're doing because, um, you know, that's awesome to explain what that child gets to do um, and what their skills are. And I think that's good. I think some parents are afraid to like ask questions because they think teachers are the the teachers. They're the people who know, you know? Um, So I think, yeah, if they want to ask questions, I I would be like, oh my gosh, this parent's calling me to check in, like to ask about what are they reading and how can we support them at home? oh my gosh, I would die. Um, I'd be so happy. Um, I think also uh, trusting the, the process, I guess. That sounds weird. And I don't want to get into the examples of experiences I've had with that, but trusting that you know, probably the school's doing the best that they can and the process might be slow or it might speed up at some points, it might regress. And if parents are you know, along for the ride and trust that that's a normal part of acquiring any skill is a a progress and a regress. Um, That's a big strategy in there that I love to teach. I have to pop. So a lot of times when you say trust the process, you know, I'm in the position where I'm always helping bridge the gap between home and school and building an IEP team that can work together. And a lot of times that conflict is because, you know, not everybody understands the process that's happening. And what I mean, not everybody, I mean, sometimes teachers don't understand what's happening at home, you know, Mm -hmm. caregivers don't understand what's happening at school and we have to bridge that gap. And when you said just 
like give it a little bit of time. I love putting a deadline on that time for comfort level. So we could say, let's try this for 30 days. And then we will adjust based on the data as needed. And then yes. that, that gives like teacher time to do what she needs to do. That gives parent like a deadline, like, okay, this is not going to be a waste of a school year. And we have that. So I love that trust the process. That is so good. Um, let's hop into some advice for teachers who, and it's okay. You know, um, we hear this word like self-care, which I think is you know so overused in this big umbrella kind of thing. Agreed. So let's talk about some strategic things beyond just self-care. So um, this is what's going to happen. We're going back to school, which I'm predicting like the most chaotic back to school season that we have seen in like forever is coming up and <laughs> chaotic for yes. so many reasons. And oh my goodness, that first year teacher, or maybe it's a second year teacher who's actually never even stepped foot in her classroom, um, yeah. is going in. And again, rose colored glasses just got tossed off and stomped on. It's crushing. It feels like, what am I doing? What do you say to them? Wow. <laughs> Buckle up. No. <laughs> oh my gosh. Me not being sentimental. Wow. I think the best advice I ever got, and I feel like I say this to other people too, is simplify, simplify, simplify. Because like all those factors you just explained are painful enough. That stuff you can't control. But if then on top of that, you're going to be like, we're going to do a craft and we're going to start this new unit that I remember saving on Pinterest when I was a freshman in college. Like all that is going to be too much. Ask for help. Talk to the admin or whoever. There's another teacher doing a similar-ish job than you. Ask if you can borrow some of their strategies or some of their systems that they have in place and simplify. I don't know. For example, when I first got and I was stressed, I did one read aloud a week, the same book every day. Who says we need more than that? We did centers, play centers until we got our structures in place. We did those kind of things. I lowered the academics for a hot second so I could get our structures in place before I kind of raised them back up again. Those kind of things, simplify, 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 because the other factors are going to crush your skull and you don't want the internal uh, guilt. What's the word? When you have a high bar for yourself, whatever that means. Failure. You're going to feel like, right. It feels like failure. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love simplify. That's fantastic. We haven't had anybody share that strategy. And I think, how about that? Yeah. Um, I I love that. That is simplified. I think that's when I, when I break down to when things were feeling complicated and chaotic, it was a lot of times we simplify out of almost defeat. Like, right. We're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. And that, so what if we started, okay, how about every teacher who's listening to this? I don't care if you've been teaching for 15 years, give yourself permission to simplify. I'm going to get on that train with everybody. <laughs> I'm like, yes, just simplify. Yes. All right. On that note, I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find you. I know you got some pretty cool YouTube videos that are out there. They can find you on the gram. Of course, we're going to make sure that there's links everywhere. Um, so they can find you and connect with you and we shouldn't be doing special education alone. You have to find your people. Exactly. And so I, think I want you guys to find yeah. <laughs> for that. I mean, people can take it and be like, I'm going to compare myself and I'm going to feel like trash 
or you can take the mindset of like, look at this huge community of people doing what I'm doing. And that's the way I like it. Cause you can see, make friends and see all these cool people. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's not about a comparing. It's about being a colleague. We mm -hmm. don't have enough colleagues, which sounds weird, but it's because we feel so isolated that your colleagues a lot of times have to be virtual and that's okay. Right. So again, you guys go find Braylin. I'll put the links wherever you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, they'll be below the video. If you're seeing this on the other platforms, if you're listening on the podcast, it'll be in the show notes. And remember that you can also continue the conversation and receive your next level of quality professional development and conversations and connections inside of the special education inner circle. I look forward to seeing you there. Braylon, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. This was fun.